there's a smartphone app called Voxer. The conceit is it's a simulation of a walkie-talkie. It doesn't really work like that. It kind of has like a walkie-talkie button that sounds, it makes that kind of squawking sound that a walkie-talkie makes. But really what it is, is it's a way of sending voicemail. Sending voicemail. What you do is you, you know, you, you find your friend on Voxer and then you press the record button and you talk into Voxer and it sends that, that piece of talking to the person. They can then listen to it later. So why not just use voicemail? Well, because you have a conversation thread in Voxer and it, it, it just stores things in a different way. You don't have to call someone, right? Like maybe you don't want to call them. You actually don't want to have a synchronous conversation. You want to have an asynchronous conversation. So you, you use Voxer. Anyway, Vox is great. I use it with a bunch of my friends. It's like a, it's one of my favorite ways of keeping in touch with people. It doesn't have the kind of commitment and coordination issues of talking on the phone or Skype, but it is much higher bandwidth than just sending text messages or emails. So um, Vox is great. And it's also something you can do when you're on the move, right? Like you're going for a walk or um, you're going to the store or something. You can Vox someone while you're doing something else or while you're doing chores or, you know, it's great. Anyway, I recommend use Voxer in your own relationships. But the reason I'm talking about Voxer is because it was when I started using Voxer that I um, noticed this phenomena or this thing to pay attention to, which I'm calling the burden of communication. And what I mean by that is who is doing the majority of the work in any given communication? So what do I mean by this? Um, I'll, I'll give you two examples that kind of illustrate it. So if you're sending an email to someone to communicate something, say you you want to uh, have a logistics check-in with a friend about like possible plans in the future, and you need to kind of cover like three different things, and you send an email. You have to you know you write down the email, you write down the questions like question one, are you available from this time to this time? Question two, what are your food preference? Whatever it is you're arranging, right? Um, but you have like this list. Okay, you send that versus uh, you send them a vox, you send them this like little voicemail. And uh, you, you, you communicate all of the same information. But the difference is in the email version, you as the one sending the communication are doing more of the work. It takes more work for you to write an email than it does for someone to read it, right? Like I sit down and it takes me five minutes to write an email that it takes you 30 seconds to read. So it sounds like these kind of small fry numbers, but like this adds up. Versus a Vox, it's I am. It takes me five minutes to record a five-minute Vox that it takes you five minutes to listen to. Now you can put it on fast play and listen to it a little bit faster, but you know the point still stands. It's the the relative amount of work on the sending end and the receiving end is different. And this is what I'm talking about when I'm talking about the burden of communication. And this is going on all the time. And it's just something as a receiver and a sender of communication, which you almost certainly are. I mean, you're receiving a communication right now. And my guess is you send communication also. You want to pay attention to this. Like you just want to pay attention to it and you want to be mindful. Another, this is a, a micro example, but like it's good manners. If you're coordinating a meeting with someone who is in a different time zone to you, right? This is something that happens all the time. 10 years ago, this was something that only a small handful of people worried about. 50 years ago, basically no one ever had to think about this. Today, many people as part of their day-to-day -day lives are scheduling meetings with people in different time zones. It's good manners when you're doing that to speak to someone about the times in their time zone, 
right? So if you know someone is on Central Time and you're on Pacific Time, it's good manners to say, are you available at 10, 10 a.m. Central Time, right? One, you got to specify which time zone you're in, that, that you're talking about to avoid all confusion. But two, you want to talk in their time zone because you're just doing a little bit of the work for them that if you talked in your time zone, they would have to do. Now, there are exceptions to this. If there's like six people talking about a meeting and everyone's in Pacific time and one person's in Central time, you probably want to talk in Pacific time. But in general, you see the same principle, burden of communication. Who is doing the work to make this communication as smooth and digestible as possible to, to just kind of have it be understood? Now, Voxer, you know, one of the things that's attractive about Voxer compared to other mediums is it does it shifts some of that burden of communication to the receiver, which makes it cheaper in an energetic sense for the sender. It makes it kind of cheaper for the sender to to send a communication, which has an advantage. Like it's not it's not that their one thing is better than the other, right? It's not that like, oh, you always wanna choose the mode of communication which is maximally expensive for the sender and minimally expensive for the receiver. Like email, right? Would be would be more in that direction. No, like the different purposes, different intentions, whatever. Uh, Voxer also has other benefits in that it's voice, so you just get more a higher bandwidth. You get more connection. You feel the other person more when it's through voice. One more example would be SMS. So SMS is very expensive to send and pretty cheap to receive. So SMS is kind of like email, right? Like it's a pain in the ass to text one with your little thumbs and you got to type it out. I mean, we're all so adept at it now that it doesn't particularly seem like a pain in the ass, but it's relatively irritating compared to what it is to read, which it's almost effortless to read an SMS, right? Like you look at your phone and if you have, you know, the notifications appearing on the, on the home screen, you don't even have to press anything. You just pick up your phone and that information just goes into your mind. Like there's almost no work. So, you know, that's another example where the, the, the relative burden of communication is, is high on the, on the sending end. That's the basic idea of burden of communication. So that's just something you want to pay attention to in general, uh, in your communications, you just that's something useful to notice and to be able to make conscious decisions about when you want to. Now, another dimension of this is how much um, post-processing the, the sender is doing, right? So there's like stream of consciousness. I just sit down and I type out an email and then I hit send or I just get, get down there and I send a vox versus I sit down and I write a draft of an email and then I reread it and I edit it some and I kind of add some links that might be helpful and I read it again and I realize that first paragraph doesn't really add anything so I can take it, you know, and so there's like a, an editing process. There's a, a famous quote by Blaise Pascal, a mathematician, who, who he said, at the end of a letter, he said, uh, I'm sorry, I only made this letter so long because I did not have time to make it shorter. And it's kind of such a brilliant, like, flip on what we think of, right? There's a similar situation in software engineering where a, a kind of naive, metric like way of measuring productivity is say how many lines of code is someone producing but actually a lot of the work of software engineering is to reduce the amount of code because it's bad to have more code you want less code that does the same thing as long as it's equally kind of readable and maintainable another example is think of like you go on facebook this is this is a classic you you go on facebook and someone has this like five thousand word screed that's just like a brain dump, right? And you know, they just sat down and they, it's just stream of consciousness. They just started typing and they sat down and then they hit send and there was no editing, there was no draft, there was no second pass, there was no kind of even pre-planning, right? Just like, here's what's on my mind and I'm going. And those things are hard to read. 
Like, if you really like the person or if they're especially brilliant or if it seems like an especially important subject that you just want to know, then you can read those things. But those 5,000-word Facebook posts, it's a lot of work on the receiving end. So that's just something else. That's another example of this phenomenon. You can also see it in general, like books, any kind of published media is on the highly polished end of putting the work on the sending end, right? Because, you know, those things are supposed to be entertainment. They're, they're consumable, they're, you know, so that you're not supposed to make the receiver do a lot of work if you're writing a novel. You don't want to make the print too small or whatever. You don't want to, you want, you want to edit it if all the you know, extra words and all of that, right? And kind of create this structure where it's like as streamlined as possible or experience for the receiver. Probably the Uber example of front-loading the burden of communication to the sender would be movies, movies and TV. They do so much work at the sending end, right? They take the communication and they have people act it out and they have like sets and they have props and they have production and lighting and special sound people. They have special effects. They Then they edit it painstakingly and meticulously. You know, if it's well-made, every second is like this finely crafted moment of experience that they're delivering to you. And the, the overall effect is that as the receiver you have to do very little work when watching a movie or a TV show to to receive the, the communication. At that point, it almost happens subconsciously, which is part of the power of those mediums because it's a, they're showing you a story. A lot of the communication bypasses the, the kind of thinking mind and goes straight into the unconscious. And so that's partly why I think people object to TV and movies, right? There's a kind of like... There's a, a cultural snobbishness, and it's way less now. When I was growing up, there was definitely still this cultural snobbishness where they people would look at like TV and movies versus books and say, well, books are better, right? And I think a lot of what's, quote, better about them is that you do more work as the receiver. And so you can get lazy when you're watching TVs and movies. And, you know, this is this phenomenon we have, right, that people binge watch TV shows because it costs you very little at least up front, it ends up costing you something in terms of your life and your kind of self-esteem and your, your wellness. But but the, the moment-by-moment expense is very low relative to binge reading a book even, which is still not particularly expensive, but it does, it costs you more, right? These are these subtle micro costs which actually influence our decisions. All animals are trying to be maximally efficient, with, with all of their resources, including their energy and their attention. And so human beings, we're animals, and so we actually are optimizing for even things like these micro differences in the amount of energetic expenditure it is to read a book versus watch a show. We are optimizing for that unconsciously all the time. Our whole kind of system is, is geared to do that, you know, for evolutionary reasons. In the past, that was a really good idea. Now we have all this psychic junk food, which means that in the same way that our eating habits imported from, you know, 100,000 years ago to today causes us some problems. So our kind of attentional habits imported from 100,000 years ago to today also cause problems. That is a wider topic. There's actually a podcast on how to be an okay person.com. We talk about that in great detail. Uh, it's called mental hygiene. So go check that out if you want to hear more about that idea. So to come back to, to TV and movies, that's like one far end of the, the extreme in terms of like where the, the work of communication is being done. At the other end would be, say you have like a, a genius, like say you have Einstein, he's, he's, he's just lecturing and he's just riffing 
and he's not doing any kind of it's just like jazz right he's just talking about his ideas and like oh this and that and that and he's not doing a lot of the work for you to understand and he's not doing any preparation he's not doing any editing he's just he's just kind of stream of consciousness riffing but because he's a genius it's worth listening to so there is like there's valid communication in there but you as an audience member in that situation would have to do a lot of work to consume and digest the communication. Okay, now we're going to come to podcasts. I'm going to focus in on podcasting because it's something I pay a lot of attention to. There are analogies with what I'm about to say in, in other mediums. In podcasting, I like to think of kind of three basic categories of podcasts. On, on one end of this of the spectrum are podcasts where they basically hit record and they record for however long they record and then they hit stop. They maybe clean it up a tiny bit at the beginning and the end, but they basically just send it out like that. Examples of that would be Joe Rogan does that like there's not a lot of editing in joe rogan's podcast he's probably the most successful example of that form he's, he might be the most successful podcaster of all time and he just hits record and he chats with someone for a couple hours and then they hit stop and they send it advantages of that it's cheap for the producer right it's cheap for the sender so he is very prolific he makes many podcasts like three or four a week i think because there's not a lot of extra work and time involved beyond and you know and it's his job but but he can do that many because there's not a huge amount of prep and there's not a huge amount of post-production relatively uh, another example of this, this is an obscure random example is uh, a guy called mark rosewater who's the lead designer at wizards of the coast he makes magic the gathering he's a game designer very interesting guy he's he's uh, a great example of someone who's incredibly transparent about his creative process which is just is it's a valuable thing to pay attention to i would recommend checking out some of his articles on design or this podcast that he does called drive to work even if you're not a game designer or, or a magic player he's just kind of fascinating about design in general like he has a lot to say and he's very transparent about his process and he's a very successful designer but his podcast his podcast has it's fantastic it's very useful it has a couple issues one i'm not going to get into more personal preference of mine but but another is um that he is like the most extreme of any podcast i listen to of uh doing zero work as a sender he records these podcasts on his drive to work and and they're not edited at all so there's full of ums and ahs it's full of him kind of ruffling around looking for papers to like figure out what he's going to say next oftentimes he doesn't have like really great concrete examples of some of the points he's making because he hasn't done any real prep work about it so he'll give you a lot of abstraction but not a, a lot of examples all the time sometimes he gives examples he'll he'll stop in traffic and stuff and he'll be like oh man i'm stuck in traffic like he'll just you know it's like that uh, and he'll um and uh a lot because it's not edited so that's an example so the next the next level would be something like sam harris hello internet sam harris and the hello internet are also podcasts um it's called i think it's called making sense with sam harris and then hello internet uh this podcast and how to be an okay person both of my podcasts are examples of this middle category which is it's an edited stream of conversation so it's it's a recording of someone speaking in this case like a monologue or uh, a conversation in in those other cases but then it's been heavily edited to reduce the noise and i don't mean like the kind of static noise like in the audio sense but the informational noise so to reduce the ums and ahs to reduce the moments where someone goes on a tangent and gets lost and then has to kind of retrace their steps to reduce you know uh, anything like that that s- streamlines the experience of the listener. So this is his middle category. It's a category I really like because it it's 
you know, it's a balance between it's relatively cheap for the sender. Like I'm not doing a huge amount of preparation. I'm not doing a huge amount of editing, but I'm doing quite a lot of editing. Definitely relative to the Joe Rogan's and the Mark Rosewaters who are doing basically zero editing. I after I basically edit about three times as long as any recording that goes out. So if 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 I send out a ten minute podcast, I've edited that for thirty minutes. And I don't know. I think with Hello Internet guys, it's similar. I don't know with Sam Harris. The final category would be something like NPR, like uh, um, Freakonomics, or any of those kind of documentaries, like the true crime stuff, where you know they they interview people and they're bringing in like the the kind of er example would be This American Life, right? They have interviews that they, they're cutting between the hosts talking, telling a story, and like clips of of the actual people in the story talking about their experience. There's music. There's different sound cues. The whole thing is like. Uh, more, way more along towards the direction of a TV show or a movie where it's very heavily edited. Each moment is relatively a uh, very conscious decision and is like a, an experience that they're trying to deliver to you. So, you know, and again, like I, I what I notice is I listen to all three. I wouldn't want to just listen to that NPR stuff because there's something they can only talk about relatively significant subjects like this is just one reason right whereas like something like hello internet like those guys will just talk about kind of not that important stuff and it kind of feels like you're just hanging out with a couple guys chatting it up about whatever they're interested in and so there's something relatively um there's something kind of nice about that experience or with mark rosewater like he would not put out nearly as much content if you were editing it all. And so you get the kind of inside of his mind, which, you know, is, it does require more work from the listener because there's also a lot of repetition. Like he'll kind of make the same point in podcast after podcast. But um, but you also get this value of like just having someone kind of unfiltered brain dump, which is, is valuable in itself. So I think there's value in all three modes and there's no normative judgment to this distinction it's not like one way is better than the other it's just like for us to be paying attention to that paying attention as senders who who am i asking to do the work here and and how much work do i want to do versus how much work do i want the other person to do and as receivers like how much work am i being asked to do and what am i willing to do and where are the places where i'm kind of consuming worse stuff because it's kind of seems easier right there's all kind of questions you can ask okay that's the burden of communication and i i hope that this communication has not been too much of a burden on you thank you for listening and be well there's a there's a corolloc there's a corollary there's a there's a corollary. I have a hard time with that word. Uh, there's a corollary. Uh, there's a there's a corollary. There's a corollary, which I have a very hard time with that word. It's a useful word. There's a corollary uh, in of the. Uh, there's a there's an analogy. Um, there's a similar situation in software engineering where 